RadioInfluence.com. The floor, as well as the ceiling, are turned over to former CIA operative Claire Lopez, who lasers in on her plate full of troubling issues on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. Whenever I feel the need to peek behind the curtain in regard to what's really going on in our nation, and unfortunately, it never seems to be anything good, I dial up or email our guests and I'm never disappointed with the result. Want to hear what I mean? Well, let's get into it. When Claire Lopez was my guest for around the seventh time back in May of 2022, she came on with Cowboy Logic co-host Donna Fiducia. This is what Donna said about the former CIA operative and current president of Lopez Liberty LLC. And I quote, Gary, you know, quite honestly, Lopez Liberty LLC, which I have memorized because we've had Claire on the show so many times, is just a tip of the iceberg because you need like an entire show to do Claire's resume. She's a badass. End quote. What can you say after that? Love you, President Donna. That says it about all. And that's all I'm going to say for now. So I welcome back to the show one of the most knowledgeable people I know and someone I'm glad to also call my friend, Claire Lopez. Hi, Claire. Thank you. Glad to be with you again. Claire, it's it's so good to uh, speak with you again. And uh, one of the things that goes on here is you uh, you're you're my sounding board and you will have the opportunity to tell the listening audience who you are and what you've done. But there's a topic that just burst onto the scene that must be dealt with right here, right now. So I'll just say the discovery of top secret classified documents floating around in places they cannot be, including Joe Biden's garage. I'm going to move out of the way and let you have your say. What's going on here? How important is this? And how do you see it? Well, uh, so much to unpack, right? Well, um, What I would say is that uh, the media feeding frenzy continues today uh, over these documents. Questions arise such as, are there more? Where might others be? Um, Why did uh, the president and his people wait so long to uh, inform the American people that they had uh, discovered these documents, which was back in November of 2022 before the the election that month, um, but but here here's the bottom line really. Um, number one, I don't think anybody thinks that um, you know President Joe Biden um, you know deliberately uh, tried to um, uh, damage the uh, national security of the United States by putting these documents in his garage next to his Corvette. Um, but but here's the thing when they're comparing this situation 
with that of documents found at Mar-a-Lago, President Trump's home in Florida, um, there's no comparison, none whatsoever. And that's because the president of the United States as president, when president, has the authority to declassify anything he, she wants to. And Donald Trump did declassify documents found at his home in Mar-a-Lago. End of story. That's, that's the end of that story, period. But Joe Biden, uh, either as vice president or later on uh, in the civilian world before he became president, had no such authority to declassify anything. And therefore, his uh, keeping of, of classified documents, and by the way, it doesn't matter if the markings are still on the pages or not, that, that's irrelevant. But the fact that he had these documents, um, whether uh, moved from where, we don't know, the White House, um, uh, to, to personal uh, property, his home in uh, Delaware, well, a couple homes there, the garage, whatever. Um, he doesn't have that authority. He doesn't have the authority to declassify. Therefore, um, the security breach by Joe Biden is magnitudes more serious than declassified documents, legitimately lawfully declassified uh, by Donald Trump when he was president. So we're just going to have to kind of wait and see, um, you know, what what more uh, leaks out. It's kind of a drip, drip, drip uh, over these last several days. And uh, the media feeding frenzy goes on. I hear what you're saying. Now, the obvious question that most people who have been following the Hunter Biden laptop and Hunter Biden's connections with China and whatever, wherever he was getting money from for being such a genius. There's always gonna be the question of, we don't know what's in these documents. They've been discovered now in three different places. Could this have been a place where Hunter Biden, that doesn't, let me put it this way, does it open up the possibility or the concern that Hunter got his grubby little fingers on these things and did something with them? Um, it is possible uh, that Hunter Biden would have had access uh, to the office um, that is that Biden think, cent uh, think tank center mm -hmm. um, up on Capitol Hill in that big corner building uh, at 1001 Constitutional Constitution Avenue. Um, that, that office there where the first documents that we know about uh, were told to us that they were found there. Uh, that office um, uh, is a place where Hunter Biden had access. Uh, not only did Hunter Biden have access and key a key, others of the family, the Biden family did too. Um, but but here's also the problem uh, that's been mentioned uh, in, in media reports, and that is that uh, that particular think tank or whatever it is, um, and the Biden Center, um, a subsidiary or belonging to, I guess, the University of Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. this office located on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., um, that, that organization received tens of millions of dollars right. wait for it, from the Chinese. Chinese, Chinese right, China. right. 
I think the number I heard, 54 million, I could be off on that number a little bit, but somewhere in that range. That's why I asked about it. And wouldn't Hunter uh, have possible access to the garage? Yes. I mean, mean, any number of people unauthorized, not authorized to have access to classified materials, which, by the way, uh, if they are classified and, and those documents in the possession of Joe Biden were not ever declassified because he had no such authority to do that. Um, Classified documents must be uh, kept in a safe, a locked safe, uh, meeting certain specifications. And when in transit from maybe one place to another place, there are very specific regulations about how those documents may be transported and by whom and in what kind of a container uh, none of those regulations uh, were met in, in the, uh, the Biden garage. So um, any number of people could have had access to that garage. And a simple garage lock um, is, is not going to keep out anybody uh, who, who seriously wants to get in, if that were the case. And we don't know that it was the case, but um, certainly the, the potential for that access uh, was there. Right. Now, if the box is in the garage, and I, I I would sing Me and My Red Corvette by Prince, but it wasn't a red Corvette that Biden had, so we can't go there. But the boxes, if they were placed where we are being led to believe they were placed, would it be illogical to believe that anybody, Joe or anybody, could continue to go in and out of that garage and not know they were there? Well, you know, we've seen on TV probably multiple times the uh, the short video clip of uh, Joe driving his little green Corvette um, uh, convertible and, and backing it into the garage. And in, in the background of that video, uh, it's possible to see the stacks of boxes right. you know, up against the back wall. So, you know, did he actually know they were there? Did somebody else pack those boxes? Did somebody else, staff or whomever, um, you know, uh, wind up placing them in the garage? We don't know. Lots of questions we simply do not know yet. But bottom line, this was not a secure storage place for classified documents. Okay. Now, in your educated opinion, if they had these documents before the midterms, why didn't they say something then? Good question, and I hope that question gets asked by the right people. Right. Well, I have a theory. I have several theories. And and one of the interesting things, uh, my theory uh, goes on two different ways because I'm going to go on two different wavelengths. So a lot of people are thinking, well, the, the issue may have been we don't if, if, if Biden's going to go down or if Biden's going to have a problem, not don't let the rest of the people running for the House and Senate on the Democrat Party side, don't let them pay the price and possibly have to walk the plank because of this, where people get turned off like these people don't know what they're doing. They're putting the nation at risk. So we're not going to vote the Democrats into the House and Senate. So let's wait until after the election. To me, this is a godsend, and I'll tell you why. A lot of people were upset, Claire, uh, and probably me too, initially with what happened on election day because we thought we'd get a lot more House seats. 
If we had gotten a lot more House seats, McCarthy probably would have been named Speaker of the House and we wouldn't have gotten all these concessions from him to be named Speaker of the House because if there had been a lot more GOP establishment type people voted in, he would have gotten the votes. So what this did, it kind of forced, it kind of forced uh, him into a situation in which he finally conceded, okay, I'll say, and we'll get into this a little later, I'll do this, 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 I'll give you what you want so I can win this thing. Okay, if if they had had if if they had been brought down the Democrats because people were upset about this and just gave us a house by a large majority, that may have never happened. So to me, all of this, I think it broke right for us. The other thing I'm going to ask you, it has come out now. This is not a Republican thing. Does this to you look like they're serving up Uncle Joe because they don't want him to run again? You know, uh, both of those are possible. Um, we we just simply we do not know. Um, but as to the first um, uh, theory that you, you you put out there, I think that's spot on. You know, uh, without the very slim majority that the Republicans eventually got in the House of Representatives, uh, the Freedom Caucus, led by these courageous twenty, you know, Matt Gates and Lauren uh, Bobbert and Jim, Jim, Jim Jordan, Jordan and, yeah and uh, Chip Roy, and, and I know I'm skipping others, but all of them, um, they would not have had uh, the leverage, the power uh, to, to uh, go to Kevin McCarthy and say, you want to be speaker, we are going to discuss these rule changes, and you will agree to these things, hearings on uh, uh, government uh, abuse of power, uh, the, uh, the, the Chinese Communist Party origin of the SARS-CoV-2, uh, and all the rest of it, uh, they would not have had the, the ability to to leverage uh, their numbers in that way uh, had the Republican majority been a larger one. I hear you. So since we have gone and made this turn here, let's delve into which was the most recent email rant I sent to you. And that was the tussle for House Speaker, now controlled by Republicans with Kevin McCarthy in charge. Please unpack what happened and why it matters. McCarthy agreed to a lot of new rules. Can he really be held to them? Can we really expect that something is finally going to dramatically change? Well, I think so. I mean, we're already seeing some uh, new bills being proposed and, uh, and uh, making their way through. Um, and, you know, if we look at that list of, of the different rules changes that uh, Kevin McCarthy eventually agreed to, uh, one of the most important um, has to do with the uh, uh, the vacate uh, vacate the speakership mm -hmm. uh, rule, and uh, that being uh, as it is now that he agreed to that only one person in the House of Representatives uh, can call for a motion to vacate uh, the position of speaker. But you know, aside from that per se, um, it's it's the fact again that 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 Speaker McCarthy now. Uh, realizes that that his continued uh, tenure, uh, if you will, as speaker depends on uh, a very slim majority uh, in in the House of Representatives, and uh, that holds him to account for what he has agreed to. Um, and what he has agreed to, as I said, are you know a good number of things. One of which um, is about bills 
It's about the committees, the, um, the rules committee, other committees that uh, have the power to, to bring a bill to the floor for even debate, never mind a vote, um, and, and which in the past the speaker had tremendous power over to, to nix a bill mm -hmm. before it ever got a chance to come to the floor. Another uh, rule change, that there will be 72 hours provided to House members uh, to review a proposed bill before they are asked to vote on it, not dropped, a bill dropped in the middle of the night and you're going to vote at 10 o'clock in the morning. With a so, thousand pages to read. <laughs> with a thousand pages or more to read. So that that's an important change. Another bill change that's really important, I think, is that uh, Speaker McCarthy has agreed uh, that bills will be brought to the floor uh, as as single topic bills, if you will, uh, not a whole mishmash of of different things um, thrown in everything but the kitchen sink and a bunch of pork uh, into one bill, uh, but rather each bill will be a standalone uh, that is dedicated to one subject, one topic, one issue. So I think that's important. Um, the the uh, commitment to open a church committee-like or church-like committee uh, to, to investigate government abuse, I think is in incredibly important. Uh, one of the first acts that uh, the new uh, Congress took uh, just earlier this week, a couple days ago, uh, was to defund uh, the proposed hiring of 87,000 new IRS agents. And because mm -hmm. funding uh, arise uh, uh, proposals uh, and bills arise uh, in, uh, in the in the house and and must be agreed to by the house. Uh, that is now out the window. So I mean we're already seeing some um, uh, important important um, uh, steps being taken. We want to encourage them to continue along the path uh, of of uh, you know following through the list of those rule changes and commitments that uh, Speaker McCarthy agreed to. Uh, we can't wait for the hearings to begin uh, on the new select uh, committee uh, that's being formed, the Select Committee on China, which will, as I said, get at uh, testimony, subpoena, compel testimony from witnesses about uh, the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, the virus, um, uh, where, it, where it came from, where SARS-CoV-2 actually came from, uh, and how the United States public health institutions like the CDC, mm -hmm. the FDA, the NIH, the NIAID, and our university laboratories like at Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Galveston National Laboratory, how they got mixed up uh, in funding, backing, supporting, and working on with together uh, gain-of-function research uh, with known or should have been known elements of the Chinese Communist Party, PLA, People's Liberation Army, uh, civilian military fusion model of their offensive biological weapons program. Known or should have known that that's what they were doing. And I hope those hearings uh, bring that forth. You said a mouthful there, Claire. And I, I want to also add, I hope this will end the, the rolling over to Democrats uh, and what they want done in the House where, um, you know, McCarthy wasn't the strongest uh, stalwart for for sticking up for the things that he needed to stick up for. I hope that ends too. But the main thing, I think what Claire just said here, everyone, is don't believe the hype about what went on on the House floor because 
a lot of people were saying, well, these people are crazy. These people are far right wing nuts. These people are no, these people did something that was very courageous and what needed to be done, because without that conflict on the House floor, none of these bills that Claire talked about and what's about to come down the pike, including investigations and hearings for, uh, you know, like Swalwell, Swalwood and, and Eric Sch- uh, and Adam Schiff and their people, Diane Feinstein, that they tried to do and bring against Trump. Nothing, everything for Hunter Biden and Joe or anything on the left would have dissipa- dissipated, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've spoken about this on other programs. Uh, uh, and 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 this is this is how I uh, have framed it um, that you know these um, discussions on the House floor um, a week ago and more um, you know were broadcast uh, by microphone and camera uh, all over television screens computer screens in this country and and all over the world and and what I would say is that there are millions of people around the world who saw that and saw that genuine, true democracy is chaotic. It's confrontational. It might be raucous, um, but that's real democracy. Mm -hmm. And that those millions of people watching around the world, lots of them could only dream of being able to stand up on the floor, if they even have one, of a parliament or a Congress and challenge the powers that be straight up, challenge the power uh, uh, in their country. And that's what the 20 did. That's what the courageous 20 of our uh, Freedom Caucus uh, members did, um, uh, you know, a, a weekend a, a bit ago. Um, and it, it, it's exactly as you said, Gary, that's the only way uh, that they actually got the, the, uh, the changes that we're now seeing take, take effect. But there are a whole bunch of places around the world where if anyone even thought about doing so, they've been shot on the floor. Commissar, uh, you know, or well, maybe a SWAT team, uh, you know, pounding on their door at three o'clock in the morning. This was an example for the entire world of how democracy should work, actually ought to be. And it's reminiscent, I have to say, it's reminiscent of, of our own founding fathers' debates. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, arguments, not just in the beginning, 1776, about the revolution itself and whether they should break away from Great Britain, but the next 13 years mm-hmm. that it took to draft and agree upon and ratify 13 colonies, now states, to ratify that constitution. Um, the arguments were, were legendary. Uh, but in the end, they came together and we have that constitution today because of it. But it's not because they spoke in quiet, hushed tones behind closed doors. Now, they didn't have modern technology of microphones and cameras, no. But the reports that we have coming down to us from that time, um, you know, tell us that that uh, uh, those founding fathers, James Madison and, and Ben Franklin and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and all the rest, they did not agree on everything right off. And they had to pound out the final wording of, of, of our constitution. And then eventually after that, a bill of rights um, in, 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 in 
tortuous uh, proceedings that, again, 13 years till we got that constitution ratified by the 13 states. Didn't it? And it seemed to me there, there was some knockdown drag out fights and they really went at it. And that is one of the reasons, wouldn't you say, we eventually came up with what we are, a constitutional yeah. republic. Because I think they realized if we were going to be a democracy, one vote on that one vote can determine what yeah, kind of country. Over, so, which yeah. means one vote more for communism, and there you go. See, and that with the constitutional yeah. republic, we we have fail safes to make sure that the majority of we the people are in favor of the form of government we would have. Correct? Absolutely. Um, and that is why the founding fathers. I think this is something they did agree upon, and that was that we would not be a democracy but rather a constitutional republic. And it, it, it was over the provisions, uh, you know, the, the exact uh, framework definition of that constitutional republic that they were uh, in disagreement. But um, they, they did agree completely that no, um, we, we cannot have a system uh, under which 50% plus one, uh, as you say, Gary, exactly, could, could take us down the road to communism or Marxism or, uh, you know, any other kind of tyranny. Yeah, absolutely. See, and, and when Claire was talking about people around the world seeing democracy, she wasn't saying we're democratic. That's our form of government. It was a democratic form in which both mm -hmm. sides get to have their say in the arena of ideas and put forth their points of view on which people now can vote. Uh, Claire, yeah. yeah, Claire, please inform the listeners, uh, because I know people are going, boy, this woman is brilliant. So uh, please inform the listeners about who you are, how you got there, your CIA experience, and what L, uh, Lopez Liberty LLC is all about. Well, um, let's, let's, I guess, uh, start with Lopez Liberty LLC, formed a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, the mission that I, I conceived of um, is to uh, inform, uh, alert, inform uh, Americans to national security threats, be they international, foreign, based uh, and or uh, domestically based. Um, uh, the Islamic movement, the Muslim Brotherhood at home, uh, Marxist uh, and communist collaborators that work with the Islamic movement, um, and, as well as you know, nation state challenges uh, to, to our national uh, security. And that would include, of course, at the top of the list, China, uh, also Russia, North Korea, uh, Cuba, Venezuela, and on down the list, Iran. Um, but I, um, I started my career uh, with a, uh, a master's degree in international relations uh, with a Russia focus. Uh, after that, uh, on to uh, 20 years uh, career operations officer with the uh, CIA. Uh, after that, I did a lot of contracting. Um, Can I just stop you for contract. one second? Can I just stop you for one second? Because I think it's important when people hear that you work for the CIA, tell them where you were because see a lot of people don't understand and i didn't when i first met you that a lot of what you did right was outside of the country true i was both uh, domestically based and uh, served abroad uh, my years of service were 1980 until 2000 um and uh yeah i served uh, in many places around the world um africa central america south america balkans all over 
Um, so it's, uh, it, you know, it was, it was a lot of moving around. Yeah. And, and a lot of understanding of how concepts and government and espionage and all kind of stuff works. Well, the most, uh, as I look back on it now, important part of all of that was seeing how the rest of the world lives and functions or doesn't function. Um, you know, being uh, in a country uh, that does not have rule of law, that does not have a constitutional republic, that does not operate uh, on, on democratic, democratic, uh, liberal democratic uh, principles of individual liberty and government by consent of the governed. I, I was in those places. And um, that perhaps more than anything else gives me an appreciation for what we have here. And uh, you know, with all credit to the brilliance of our founding fathers, who established this system for us that we just witnessed in action over the last couple of weeks. Right. Okay. Okay. Keep going. So 20 years uh, in the so CIA. You know, some uh, federal contracting uh, began teaching and training, uh, gravitated towards uh, think tanks um, in Washington, D.C. The Iran Policy Committee uh, first gave me my um, in-depth um, exposure and, and uh, learning about uh, Iran, the Iranian regime, the Iranian people. I've uh, been working with the, uh, the Mujahideen Kalk, National Council of Resistance of Iran, uh, the uh, democratic opposition to the uh, Mullah's regime in Iran uh, since about 2005 or so. Um, then uh, 10 years uh, with the uh, Center for Security Policy and now independent Lopez Liberty LLC. And it's all about trying to keep us safe and secure people. And that takes us to our southern border. Biden finally made a trip to El Paso, Mexico. What's the importance of these and what were these about? And why did it take so damn long for either him, Kamala Harris still hasn't made a trip. What is going on here? We know what it's like. If people are coming across the borders, if it's a party over here, they're bringing all their flags, they're coming with it. You know, it's not like, hey, thank God, I want to be in America, I want to simulate. No, they want to come here and bring their country with them, it seems, with a lot of people. We have drug dealers, the cartels, you have prostitution, you have uh, gangs, you have terrorists, you have everything. No, the border's safe, the border's safe. Uh, finally, why do you think uh, he finally made, went down there? And again, what is the importance of this? What's it all about? And is anything going to change? Well, let's start um, with the the worldview, the Weltanschung, if you will, of the Biden administration, many of, um, of whom uh, are uh, former members of the Obama administrations. And their worldview is that America is a force for ill in the world, not for good, for ill. And so their basic premise, uh, politically speaking, is to take America down uh, as, as, as much as they possibly can, to withdraw American power and influence from the world, um, especially from uh, places of key importance like the Middle East, um, but, but also to diminish our uh, ability uh, to project that power and influence around the world. And that is where um, the, the destruction of our energy independence comes from. Um, and it is where um, the, the wide open border comes from. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. Some years ago, uh, I was part of a group that um, met 
with a visiting MP, a member of parliament of the British parliament. And uh, that gentleman told us, this is a number of years ago, told us that uh, prior to that, a couple of decades earlier, maybe the 70s, the 80s or something like that, um, the uh, British elites, meaning academia, the political parties, uh, even the Anglican church um, had decided that, that Britain was too Anglo, too Saxon, too white, too Christian, and they needed to change that. And they wanted to obliterate that identity. This is a British MP telling us this. And that's when the British opened their borders and mm -hmm. allowed, uh, first of all, the former colonial um, uh, colonial uh, people to, to, to come in, meaning from uh, places around the world like the Caribbean, uh, like uh, the Stans, Pakistan and uh, Bangladesh and Afghanistan, all of these places, India too, um, just threw up at their borders and it was ever a place over which the British Empire was the colonial power, those people uh, had the right to come on in and, 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 and dilute, because that's exactly what was intended, dilute the population of Britain. And that is when Britain really began its long slide um, down the tubes. Well, I think that's what's going on here. There is a sliver of elites, and again, this is not the American people deciding this, not by a long shot. It is a sliver, a tiny population sliver of elites. Again, academia, the political class, I suppose Wall Street um, and, and, and others, uh, certainly in government, both political parties, by the way, not just mm -hmm, absolutely. Both political parties, globalists, um, want to uh, change the makeup and the character uh, of the United States of America to obliterate our foundational principles, which are Judeo-Christian principles uh, upon which our Constitution, Bill of Rights, and of course the Declaration itself are based. Um, they want to obliterate all of that. They want to merge the United States into one globalist whole um, soup of open borders everywhere, and everybody can just migrate and move wherever they want at any time. Um, and uh, that, that, that's their worldview. They want America to lose its foundational character. Uh, and that is why the southern border has been thrown wide open. And exactly what you just said, that view of America sounds exactly every time you hear George Soros speak, that's exactly how he sounds. They're just all, over everything, free prostitution, drugs, everything, no borders, this, that, you know, and that that eliminates the United States. So what do you think we can last another two years? It, and, and you know what scares me? Here's what I don't understand. Two things. I'm going to ask you two questions about this. Number one, as it applies to the border. So you have the left trying to use this boogeyman of the virus to scare Americans and everybody getting vaxxed and shutting stuff down and government control, more government control. So you have them talking about, oh, this vaccine. Yet at the same time, they're leaving the southern border over where people are coming. We don't know what they have. That's one thing. And the other thing is people usually of power. I always thought if you had power, you want to keep your power. People like Barack Obama and Biden, whoever is in control, if you are the leader of the free world, 
why would you want a system in which your power could be usurped by Xi or by Putin or somebody else if the power would be the term so? In other words, by bringing the United States down, you may find yourself subservient to somebody and your power, you know, you understand? I don't understand why well, people of power are yeah, willing no, to I mean, give it up. I, th- I, th- I think they all uh, in power now figure that, you know, um, as long as they're on, uh, you know, the watch, uh, this won't happen. But, you know, après moi le déluge, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Louis XIV. Um, uh, but, but, but again, it, it is that they, they loathe and despise uh, their own national heritage. They, they, they do not appreciate uh, the heritage, the values, the principles, the traditions um, that, that made this country what it is over the last uh, you know, 247 years. Um, they don't value that at all. Uh, and, and, and they want America to be diminished. Uh, to be to be subsumed into, as I said again, a, a great globalist mishmash, um, it, 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 you know, under which our own national identity, as as laid out in the foundational documents, um, is obliterated. They, uh, it's it's hard for probably most Americans to understand that this is so. That there could be people in America like this. But what I'll say is that over the last hundred years or so. Um, the encroachment of Marxism and communism mm-hmm. um, into uh, every sector of our society uh, has left its mark. And that that encroachment began uh, in academia, very strategically began mm-hmm. in academia, of course, with the Frankfurt School coming over uh, from Germany, uh, where the, the Nazis, the fascists uh, won the battle against communism, kicked them out. And they fetched up over here at Columbia University in the 19, what, 20s, 30s? 30s, yeah. 30s. And um, so academia is where it began. But that was strategic because generations of graduates uh, out of our academic institutions have been immersed in communist, Marxist propaganda um, and teaching. And, and we can go straight to the Communist Manifesto or we can go to... Uh, w. Cleon Skousen's The mm-hmm. Naked Communist, Chapter 13, 45 Goals of Communism Today, to find this blueprint. And, and that is, I think, more than anything else, what has given us, well, given us um, the leadership that we have today. They are products uh, of that academic rot uh, of, of communism and Marxism that rampaged through our academic institutions over the last so many decades. I hear you, Claire. Claire, I I thank you for coming on. Uh, You always give a wealth of knowledge. Just uh, in closing, you just recently did a new essay for Dr. Malone's Substack, in which you, I think you called it, How the CCP Operation Ensnared the USG, which I do believe would mean how the communist, Chinese Communist Party operation ensnared the United States government. Uh, please just give us a couple words about that and then that, you know, what that's about, a little overview, and then tell people how they can reach you. Right. Okay. So very quickly, um, uh, with with much gratitude uh, to, to the brilliant Dr. Robert Malone for 
um, uh, posting my, my second guest essay for him. The first was back in October of last year, 2022, uh, which was the history of the Chinese Communist Party's biological warfare program. This one, um, as you said, how, how the CCP ensnared the US government. Um, and it's my premise in the, in the piece um, that uh, the Chinese Communist Party in civilian military fusion with the PLA did not actually need American funding or technology, although both are perfectly welcome, uh, to continue uh, what had already been uh, a long history of gain of function research, which I think um, based on uh, writing uh, by, uh, by biopreparat, uh, Russian defector Ken Alibak and others, um, I think that gain of function research began as far back uh, as uh, when Mao took over China in 1949 and then uh, teamed up to collaborate with then um, Soviet ruler uh, uh, Stalin, who, who was still in power at that time. So they didn't need, I believe, our technology and our funding, although both were welcome. But what they wanted to do, and I, I really think that this is part of it at least, um, and maybe the hearings will get at it in, in, in greater depth, but they wanted to ensnare the United States senior uh, uh, public health institutions, again, the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, the NIAID, uh, and universities like um, Chapel, Hill, uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina under uh, Ralph Barrick, and then of course, the uh, Galveston National Laboratory uh, under Leduc, um, ensnared them, the institutions and the leadership both, in gain-of-function research, which according to multiple public Chinese official documents, um, always was intended to uh, create offensive biological weapons that would be unleashed on the mm. United States and the West, the world in general. Um, they have openly talked about this for decades. The US government knows this. They have the speeches and the documents. One speech from about 2003, the secret speech of Qi Haoqian, former defense minister of, of, the, CC, uh, of the Chinese Communist Party the, the China of China. Um, uh, text of that uh, speech talking explicitly about developing and using biological weapons to, quote, clean up America for conquest, essentially. Uh, the text of that in English was published by Jeff Nyquist, brilliant analyst uh, of communism and, and uh, communist regimes, published by him at his blog site um, in September of 2019. So the premise of the paper, again, that they deliberately, CCP deliberately drew in uh, our, our senior um, health, public health officials uh, like uh, Ralph Barrick, like Leduc, like uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, like uh, EcoHealth Alliance and Peter Daszak, all of them in order to uh, implicate them in what the Chinese knew and were planning to be a, a biological weapons attack against the world and specifically against the United States, but, but the world. And that's eventually exactly what happened. And now as the hearings will be beginning in, in the House of Representatives over the next days or so weeks, um, we will have these uh, public health officials uh, 
in testimony, compelled testimony, witness as witnesses before these different committees, and even more of the truth of, of the Chinese Communist Party PLA Offensive Biological Weapons Program will come to light very publicly, and their involvement in it, uh, the funding uh, for gain-of-function research, for example, that was supposed to have been cut off, was supposed to have been banned on a, at least a couple of occasions, but was not, or was offshored to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. All of that's going to come spilling out in a very public way. In addition to all the documents and emails and so forth that already have been obtained, uh, including by uh, Tom Fitton at, at Judicial Watch and others, uh, that evidence will be very public now. And what will happen? The faith and trust of the American people in yet one more of our public institutions will be further eroded, corroded, maybe destroyed, maybe irredeemably uh, wrecked. That's the purpose. That's what that's what unrestricted warfare means in the Chinese context. It's not just planes and tanks and, and, and troops and ships. It's this kind of operation, an intelligence operation as I see it, um, that, that gets inside of our own system and, and uh, corrodes uh, the credibility of our uh, institutions, our, our, our state uh, you know, sectors of society uh, from within. That's, that's unrestricted warfare and that's, that's the premise of my paper. Wow. I hope everybody will check this out. You're about to tell them where to find it. Claire, thanks for coming on. Please tell people where to find you and how to get your outstanding work. Well, please do uh, subscribe. You can you can subscribe for free uh, to Dr. Robert Malone's Substack. Uh, there are a few others that you ought to be looking at as well. Substacks, Dr. Paul Alexander's, Dr. Peter McCullough's, the Brownstone Institutes and Jeffrey Tucker's, Dr. Jeffrey Tucker's all of those substacks. But for me, you can uh, follow me on social media, uh, at Claire M. Lopez on Twitter. My name, same thing, at Facebook. I'm uh, at Lopez Liberty on uh, Telegram. I'm at Claire Cho on Truth Social. And you can also find everything that I'm uh, writing and publishing at the Citizens Commission on National Security. Um, where else? Uh, please go take a look at the website, defendtheborder.org, defendtheborder.org. Mm -hmm. That is uh, the project we're working on with Tom Homan, Tom Trentro of the United West, to draw attention to the crisis at the border. Uh, and also, one last that I'll mention to you, um, I am a senior advisory board member and a director of U.S. Geostrategic Security Issues. They came up with that title. <laughs> uh, for the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement, headed up by Sardis Sangari. So please have a look at the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement also. Claire, thanks for coming on. This is about, I, I, I joke it's about the zillionth time, but it's probably about 10. Uh, whenever I need you, you're always there. And people, this is why after Rock the Red, I get together with Claire and Donna Fiducia and Don Nguyen, and we stay up half the night, and then Sunday, we're up all day trying to figure out how to save the world. Thanks for coming on, Claire, uh, giving us uh, so much information and, uh, you know, anytime. And whenever I need you, I'll be dialing you up. Thank you very much. Thank you much. so much. I'm happy to come on anytime. Appreciate it. You're welcome. There you have it. Once again, everyone, Claire Lopez.
I want to thank Claire Lopez for providing a wealth of knowledge into the critical issues she delves into on a daily basis. Where does she find the time? I don't know. I'm just glad she does. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. If you're listening for the first time, we encourage you to check out the podcast archive located on the page. All previous podcast episodes are there featuring guests such as Ben Carson, Monica Crowley, Diamond and Silk, and we're all saddened with the passing of Diamond, Lynette Hardaway, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, Brigitte Gabriel, Mike Lindell, Trevor Loudon, Nick Searcy, Brandon Tatum, Herschel Walker, and Naomi Wolf. That's it for now, friends. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.